Welcome to Money MD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Matthew, here we are moving on through another beautiful uh, spring week here. The weather's been just gorgeous. Absolutely beautiful this time of year. Yeah, a little bit of baseball going on, but, you know, not a lot in the sports world going on right now. I think the draft, NFL uh, NFL draft's coming up pretty soon. That's right. Got some big names in there. I yeah, hear. yeah uh, it's right, gonna, right. going to be right. a good one. We're going to see if our Trevor Lawrence goes right. first. Yeah, in Clemson. <laughs> but, uh, That's right. But, yeah, welcome to the show again. Uh, you sitting in for your dad, you know, Matthew Travis here. I'm, uh, another money doctor. So, uh, yeah, we got a great show lined up for you. Um, you know, uh, we're going to start off talking about taxes and retirement. Matthew, because, uh, you know, most people think that their taxes are going to be low in retirement. Sometimes they're not. So you got to be careful that a lot of techniques you can use to kind of kind of uh, strategies to to kind of make sure you don't drift into a higher tax bracket and to protect yourself from taxes in retirement because um, we're still in tax season. You know, right. they extended a month. So, hey, we're still right in the middle of it. You want to keep thinking about taxes. Don't forget That's and let right. those bite you. And I'm sure the CPAs want to stop the tax season already. It's yeah, they been would a love tough to. one for them. I finished mine, thank okay. goodness, because okay. I was not going to let that drag on to the middle of May. No, so, no. Uh, and then, yeah, we are doing another article, and it's going to be uh, about Bitcoin. And the title is To Bit or Not To Bit. Should you include these uh, this this product in your investment portfolio? So that's going to be a very interesting one. Yeah, we'll try to boil that down into what, what Bitcoin really is and what it means for the future because i know you know it's been going crazy lately so a lot of people have questions about that so that's a great uh topic um by the way i'm steve marbert i'm a certified financial planner and a dave ramsey smart investor pro with over 25 years experience in providing financial planning and investment advice my name is matthew travis i'm also a certified financial planner and i'm an advisor here at the firm yeah, I'm glad to be with us today. Um, yeah, and we're uh, excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Um, we are up every Friday afternoon. Um, our podcasts are all on our website. You can check us out there at moneymd.net. Um, you can find us on iTunes, um, pretty much anywhere you can listen to podcasts. You should be able to find us. Uh, but check us out on our website, moneymd.net. You can link to us there. You can send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, we'll talk about those questions right here on the show. And that leads us up here to our fact of the week. And this is a little staggering, but the government projected in September of 2019 that our nation's tax gap, which is the difference between what all taxpayers should have paid compared to what they actually paid, was almost $500 billion per year. Uh, In April of this year, the IRS commissioner testified before the Senate that the tax gap could be actually as high as $1 trillion. My goodness. So they're saying that people are are evading taxes in the tune of almost a trillion dollars per year, perhaps. That's right. What what people should be paying compared to what they're actually paying. Yeah, it's hard to believe. I mean, I know during the pandemic, you know, they they dramatically, they probably did no audits. I mean, quite frankly, no, no, you know, sit-down audits. And uh, and I know they're understaffed and they're way behind on taxes. So I think the chance of you being audited next year are probably slim and none, low, given, right. you know, and, and maybe people know that um, and, and are, you know, cheating on their taxes more. I don't know. It's kind of sad, sad commentary on society that people would not just, you know, pay what you owe. That's right. And, you know, it's just kind of an interesting concept is, you know, the more taxes you pay, it means you have higher income. So that's a 
you know, it is a blessing to have a, you know, higher income and, and you will pay more taxes, but it, it is a blessing to, to be there. So let's be honest. Let's be moral. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's do what's right. Having said that, you don't want to pay more taxes than you owe. And there are ways of lowering your tax burden. Yes. And that's what we're going to talk <laughs> about segue. next. That's a good segue. <laughs> so we're not saying you should go pay more than you owe. That's right. So let's, uh, let's keep that low. And that's what we're going to talk about right now. That's lowering your taxes in retirement. And this is based on an article out of a retirement watch um, very recently from Robert Carlson. But Matthew, you know, when, when people get into retirement, they usually, you know, are in a lower tax bracket. Um, so taxes might not be as much of an issue. However, we're seeing more and more retirees that are finding themselves in a higher tax bracket um, due to RMDs and other investment income in retirement. And of course, now with all the government spending, I mean, a lot of retirees are also worried about what taxes are going to look like a few years down the road. Right. Um, and then there are some retirees who are just shocked that their tax bite isn't as small as they expected in mm. retirement. They really thought they'd be in a lot lower tax bracket, and they're not. I mean, after all, you know, they're no longer earning full-time salaries, um, so their income taxes should go down a lot. But in reality, you know, one in four retirees, according to a recent survey by National Retirement Institute, one in four retirees say that they had to shell out several thousand dollars more in taxes each year than they had expected in retirements. They really weren't prepared for that. Yeah, that's a big number. Um, so the, the question is, well, what, what can you do about it? Well, there are a number of uh, strategies that you can use that can dramatically reduce what you owe to the government in retirement. Uh, some of these strategies include choosing how and when to uh, use various taxable and tax-advantaged accounts, how and when to start taking Social Security, uh, how to minimize the burden of taking RMDs, uh, required minimum distributions from your qualified uh, IRA and 401k accounts in retirement. And really the objective is is to manage your tax burden throughout retirement to keep you out of higher tax brackets. Um, in fact, for many retirees, it's possible to keep your tax rate as low as uh, in the 12% tax bracket and totally avoid the 22% bracket throughout retirement. Um, but, you know, we do say this won't happen by accident. It does take some planning and some thoughtful uh, strategizing of how to avoid getting caught in a higher bracket uh, at certain points throughout retirement. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, so the first strategy is to be careful where and when you draw income um, from your accounts in retirement. Um, retirees who need cash flow to supplement their basic monthly income, such as Social Security and pensions, they're generally going to draw from a combination of three different types of accounts, and they each have their own tax consequences. Um, and, you know, those three types of accounts are basically IRAs, their Roth IRAs, and their after-tax brokerage type accounts. And so the question is, you know, which should you draw from first, and how do you minimize your tax burden by, by doing that? Well, the conventional wisdom is, that in retirement, you should draw down your taxable accounts first and then followed by your tax-deferred accounts like traditional IRAs and 401ks and then tax-free accounts like Roth IRAs that will not <clears throat> have any taxes at all on earnings and withdrawals. Um, and this strategy is kind of based on the assumption that the capital gains rate that you pay on, on your taxable accounts from you know, the profits of your investments in your accounts over time will be, you know, lower um, than your income tax rate on withdrawals from the tax-deferred accounts. 
most people don't have much in Roth, so that we kind of right. leave those to last. And there's no RMD on Roth, mm-hmm. so most people tend to leave those to last to draw from <clears throat> unless they get in a bond. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in addition, you know that lead this strategy, the conventional strategy, leaves um, leaves your IRAs and 401ks undisturbed, and it leaves the taxes on the accounts in the account. And it allows them to grow faster because you have all that tax money still in the account that's earning additional return. Right. Um, however, sometimes that plan can backfire. I mean, for example, you know, say you're in your 60s, you rely largely on withdrawals from your taxable accounts rather than your, your 401ks and IRAs to, to pay your living expenses. And that means you're saving money by, you know, by paying those taxes on the withdrawals at a capital gains rate. Um, rather than ordinary income tax rates. When you retire, when you reach age 72, though, or age 70 um, and a half, if if you reach that age before 2020, um, you no longer have that option. You know, at that point, the IRS requires you to start taking RMDs, required minimum distributions, from your 401ks and IRAs, um, whether you need the money or not. And by then, you know, your tax deferred accounts may have grown so large that your RMDs, um, your required minimum distributions from those accounts could push you into a higher tax bracket. Um, So you have to be careful about that. And there are some ways to tap your various accounts that can help you lower your taxes overall in retirement and kind of manage that issue. That's right. And what, what Steve's saying is, you know, at some point when you have that RMD, that required distribution that the IRS is making you take, you won't have an option to take less than that. You have to take that and it may just throw you into a higher tax bracket, whatever the tax brackets are. So trying to do some of these strategies and, and being controlled with it can be really helpful. So one uh, strategy is to reduce tax deferred accounts early in retirement in any year when your taxable income is low. Uh, many new retirees do find themselves with a big income drop uh, the first few years of retirement. You, you've stopped you know, your W-2 income from your job and you've started um, retirement. Maybe you have not started Social Security. Maybe RMDs are not in effect for you. Um, and so you may approach the end of the year and realize that you're in a low tax bracket. Um, so what we would say is, man, you can take advantage of that lower tax bracket by withdrawing just enough money from a traditional IRA or a tax-deferred account like a 401k uh, to stay within that tax bracket for that year. Yeah, that's exactly right. So an example would be, so let's say you're a married couple, and for for this year, 2021, um, uh, you would pay a 12% tax rate on income of about, um, about $20,000, well, on income from $20,000 up to about $81,000 of taxable income. That's gross income for a married couple of about 106000 right. It's kind of the top of the 12% tax bracket. But for every dollar above that, up to 172000 of taxable income, you're going to pay 22%. Um, so say this year you have about a $50,000 taxable income um, where we put you in the 12% tax bracket. Um, then you have about $31,000 of room inside that 12% bracket. So consider taking an additional $30,000 distribution from your IRA this year. Um, Even if you don't need the money, you could convert that into a Roth. That way you'd pay 12% tax on that distribution amount rather than risk paying a lot higher tax later in the future. So that's just an example of how you could get $30,000 out now, 
get it into a Roth or some kind of taxable account, pay the tax on it at 12%, right. um, and have it available for the future to to avoid having to tap your IRAs heavy right. later on and push into a higher bracket. Another strategy is to convert um, the traditional retirement accounts to Roth accounts in the low in in lower tax bracket years. Um, many retirees have large traditional 401ks or IRAs, um, you know, much, uh, but the much smaller Roth accounts they have, you know, aren't big enough to really help them much right. when they get later in retirement, you know, so that, that can be disadvantageous, um, because Roths, they grow tax-free. They're, they're, they're totally tax-free for withdrawals and growth in retirement. Um, so if you plan to leave something for your heirs, right. you know, they could inherit your Roth accounts. They don't have to pay any taxes on the withdrawals. So you're actually leaving them more money if you're able to leave them Roths as opposed to IRAs. Um, so unlike the IRAs and 401ks that, you know, they're going to have to pay tax on it within 10 years. Mm -hmm. So um, those first few years of retirement could be great years to do some Roth conversions um, from your IRA money uh, before you start drawing your, your Social Security, for example. Do that in a 12% tax bracket and get that money converted over to um, to a Roth for future. Yeah, and another example of that is let's just say you're married and you make seventy thousand of income uh, for 2020. You would pay, uh, you would not exceed the 12 percent tax bracket if you kept your income below 106 thousand, and that's including a you know a, a standard deduction in there. But that 106 thousand is the upper limit for 2020. So we would say, okay, well, we we don't want to go over the 12 percent, but if we can if we can take advantage of that bracket. And convert even thirty-six thousand from a traditional IRA into a Roth, then essentially what you've done is you you will have a tax bill on that. You will have twelve percent federal and some state, um, but it it is typically a very good idea to convert at lower rates, not only for yourself but as Steve said for for heirs. This isn't an this is an yeah. estate planning tool. We will say one thing is. Uh, when you're converting, you want to make sure you have the cash to pay for the, the conversion, right? Or the the cash to pay for the tax, right? We don't want to gross up the conversion and pay for it out of the IRA. We want to make sure we have the cash on the outside to pay for that tax bill that comes due with the conversion. Yeah, that way you get more in the Roth and right. you get the real benefit of of convert turning all that into a after tax, absolutely, totally tax free, absolutely bucket of money. So that's good. Yeah, and then Social Security is another strategy that you need to be careful of. You know, I mean, if you fail to keep an eye on how much taxable income you'll have whenever you decide to start taking Social Security benefits, you might end up having to pay taxes on almost all of your benefits. Um, and, and most people do, quite frankly, because, you you know, they're above the income level where where it's not all taxable. About fifty six, fifty seven thousand, I think, gets you up there where joint income where your social security is mostly going to be taxable. Right. But there are a lot of retirees that are below that level and, and are in that category where they can get social security without having to pay a lot of taxes on it. Um, and in fact, about 40% of social security recipients pay uh, tax on, on, on most of their social security. Um, but you know, it's, and it's kind of a stealth tax because the higher your income rises, the more your social security benefits, uh, become taxable. And so it's, it's, it, your marginal rate goes really high right. during that period when you're throwing in 50 cents on the dollar or 85 for cents on the security. dollar yeah. for social security. 
Um, so you have to keep careful, be careful if you're in that category of how much income gets added to your taxable income and your Social Security calculation. So to figure out how much your Social Security benefits are taxable each year, what they do is they take one half of your expected Social Security benefit, they add it to your adjusted gross income, um, which includes pension payments, 401k and IRA withdrawals, interest and dividends, all that stuff. And then, um, you know, that odd formula kind of yields what the IRS calls your potential income. And if that's less than $32,000 for married couples um, joint, uh, then you won't owe anything on your Social Security benefits. If it's between thirty two and 44000 for a married couple, um, then you'll owe 50%. You'll owe tax on 50% of your Social Security benefits. And if it's more than 44000 then you're going to owe tax on 85% of your Social Security benefits above that that puts you above that 44000 And like I said, that maxes out for most people somewhere in the high 50s. Um, so what do you do if you think your income will trigger high taxes with your Social Security benefits? Well, there are some strategies you can take to, to help you know, manage that. Yeah. And this is a really interesting one. We don't talk too much about this, but you know, some people, they do use lots of bonds and dividend paying stocks and mutual funds to generate income. Um, but that, what that can do is it can actually boost your adjusted gross income enough to raise your, your social security tax. Uh, so consider a good tax managed portfolio of funds uh, that don't kick out as much taxable income each year. Uh, that way, your taxable portfolio will not add too much to your taxable income and affect the tax on your Social Security. Steve, just a pause. I mean, we're, we're talking about a lot of things. I think the key takeaway we said in the beginning is, you know, none of this happens just by chance or by accident. Right. So I think, you know, understanding some of these base um, rules and strategies, but then really thinking through and, and having a plan set down um, can be really good for, for your for your family. Yeah, I think that's right. And we'll just kind of summarize this just to say, you know, there you do have to be careful when you take income out of your of your IRAs and, and you know, all of your accounts. And you want to manage your taxes like we talked about below the the twelve percent bracket, within the twelve percent bracket if you can in retirement. Um and you certainly don't want to push yourself into a really high tax year. You know, when you sell a house or you do something else and, and all of a sudden all your capital gains are taxed at a higher rate right. as well. Um, so just be careful. Have a strategy for how you take your income in retirement. Um, you can really do a lot throughout retirement to lower your tax bill if you have a plan for that. And if you look at it year by year and, you know, say plan 10 years ahead rather than just taking it year by year. Right. Exactly. Um, so that's kind of the, the moral of the story here. So that leads us up here to our question of the week. That's right. And this is, um, we do talk a lot about Social Security, but it's because, you know, quite frankly, if you're working, you're contributing to it. If you're an employer, you're contributing to it for your employees. And if you're in retirement, you're more than likely thinking about Social Security or you're already receiving it. So this is, it just affects a lot of people. So we do talk about it mm. uh, a good amount. So this, this uh, prescription, there's a fact, and it's just about 4% of people start collecting their social security benefits at the most advantageous time. And this is according to... Now we're doing the question of the week. Oh. <laughs> we'll come back to the prescription. All right, let's... Uh, <laughs> That's good, though. Yeah, tune That's that what... out. Forget forget that. Okay. Yeah, right. Well, we'll, we'll come back to okay, it. Okay, all right, all right. The... Okay. That's a good lead in. That's... Remember those That's words, a... but now... It's a teaser. Question okay. of the week. Question of the week. Uh, the question, this is a great question. Um, it's, it says, should I invest my sale 
uh, of my home in the markets if I want to use that money to purchase a new home uh, in one year. I want to buy a new home in one year. Should right. I invest the proceeds from the sale of my old house? That's a good question. We do get that question a lot. You know, somebody finds themselves with a chunk of money, you know, and they're going to need it maybe a year from now. It might be for tax, a big tax burden they have coming up, or it might be to, to buy another house. Um, and so, you know, I mean, the short answer on that, I guess, is Yes, you probably should invest it, but you need to be very, very conservative with mm-hmm. it because a year is not very long, right? I mean, anything can happen in a year in the market, and it can be down when you need the money. So if you have a hard and fast date that you think you're going to need that money um, and it's only a year out, um, I would say, you know, you probably want to – you don't want to leave it in the bank because you're earning nothing, right? Um, and money markets are paying nothing, so there's not much of a way to get – uh, to get a decent return, but I'd say something that's that's maybe you know ten to twenty percent stocks mm. um, is a very conservative portfolio. Some people I, I see use that, and you know it'll it could it still still could be down a few percent if we got in a really bad market right mm. before you needed it. But I think that might be worth the risk. Um, some market appreciation in there. Some market appreciation in there, and I think you know a bond portfolio that might give you one or two percent, uh, maybe three percent is is not a bad option either. And we have a totally fixed income portfolio that does that. Mm. But uh, in general, you're not going to want to go stick at 50% stocks, I think, sure. unless you unless you have some flexibility about when you can take it out. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. So great question of the week. All right. And that leads up to our next topic here. And that is uh, Bitcoins, whether or not to bid in your portfolio <laughs> with Bitcoins. Yeah. And this is uh, from a, an, uh, one of our partners, Dimensional Fund Advisors. And it's very technical. And we're going to try to go high level. But um, they're discussing uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies and how they're just receiving a lot of media attention. And it's prompting many investors to wonder... And we've been asked questions, you know, should we include these types of electronic, this type of electronic money in our portfolios, in their portfolios? Cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin emerged only in the last decade or two decades. And unlike traditional money, uh, there's no paper, no notes, no coins, uh, nothing like that is involved. There's no central bank that that issues this currency and there's no regulator or nation that stands behind it. Instead, cryptocurrencies are a form of, it's really just a computer code and it's stored in a digital wallet. In the case of Bitcoin, there's a finite supply of about 21 million Bitcoins, uh, of which 18.5 million roughly are in circulation already. Uh, And yeah, and these these are recorded on this public ledger that anyone can go on there and track and see what people spent these Bitcoins on. It's a really interesting technology. Yeah, it really is. I mean, the Bitcoin, I mean, the, the blockchain technology, I think, is is transformational, right. you know, in the financial services world. And, right. Right. But uh, but Bitcoins themselves is a kind of another another topic that we're trying to dig into right. here. And but yeah, I mean, people, um, they can earn Bitcoins in several ways, including buying them, um, using traditional, you know, money to, to buy them in, in kind of a coin wallet, um, mm-hmm. kind of online um Cyber, cyber uh, wallet, I guess. Yeah, I it's an online wallet, <laughs> right. right? I obviously don't have one, <laughs> you know. But then uh, also you can mine them, you know. I mean, um, you can receive freshly minted Bitcoins, <laughs> if you will, for your service of using powerful computers to compile recent transactions into the, these blocks and transactions 
uh, chains that um, involve these highly complex mathematical puzzle. Mm. Um, not too many people can do that, though. No. You've got to be a mathematical whiz with computers to, to set go mine, up, right. set up and mine bitcoins. Um, and it takes a lot of, a lot of power to understand, right. a lot of electricity, because right. it's hard computation. Um, so, but anyway, how big is Bitcoin though? You know, the market value, uh, the, the market value at 57,000 per Bitcoin, which is kind of where it's, you know, in the range of where it's at today, um, is less than half of 1% of the aggregate stock and bond market. Um, so it's still not a huge piece of the stock and bond market. Um, but despite this, um, you know, over the past few months, I mean, it has gone up a a lot and it's gotten a lot of attention Mm -hmm. from the media. And so, you know, I mean, so I guess the question is, what are investors to make of all this attention? Is it something that you should have in your portfolios? It should be a part of a diversified portfolio. Um, And, you know, I mean, the recent rise has certainly gotten everybody's attention about that. And and the question also is, what does it mean about the future value of Bitcoin? You know, is it is it a good place to 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 is a good thing to have in your portfolio right. along with stocks bonds and mutual funds is really the question yeah that's a good question so just very high level the roles of stocks bonds and mutual funds companies issue stocks when they want capital and so they will issue stocks and the investors will give capital and they're promising a part of the future profits back to the investors uh, bonds they're promising a, a stream of cash flows as well as the uh, the initial present value that you put in there um, cash on the other hand um, is is different. There's you're you're not if you hold a dollar today, you're not expecting someone to give you two dollars tomorrow because you held that dollar. Right. It's very different. There's a fundamental difference in stocks and bonds, and then cash and types of cash products. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and um, and so um, yeah. I mean, if you look at if you invest in the stock market or the bond market, for example, you know they pay dividends, right? right? I mean. And for stocks, there's earnings behind those investments right. that are causing them to go up, that are increasing their future value because those earnings are all discounted back to today. Right. And for bonds, those future that future stream of, of dividends right. is discounted back to the day. And that's why the value does go up um, is because of, of the growth of, of earnings um, for stocks and for uh, the dividends in bonds that they pay over time, but you don't have any of that with cyber currencies in general. Um, you know, it's it's purely a function of supply and demand. It's purely a function of of you know the demand out there because people feel like they're going to miss out. I think, right. and they're jumping on board to buy more of it um, because they 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 think they're just speculating on what right. it's going to do in the future. Um, so it really is a gamble and, you know, there's no doubt that a well-placed gamble can make a lot of money, you know, there's no doubt about that. I mean, you know, during the dot-com era, you know, of the late nineties, a lot of people made money in dot-com stocks until it crashed Mm. in, in, uh, March of 2000. Um, and the NASDAQ lost something like 80% and didn't recover for 15 years. Um, so, you know, I mean, when you're looking at, and it was just purely speculation of people piling onto an idea, something they felt like that, um, more people were going to buy and, you know, they had seen these outsized returns and they didn't want to miss out on that. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what's happening today with Bitcoin. Um, people are piling on, they don't want to miss out on, on a great return. Mm -hmm. 
But the fact is, there's nothing really behind it. And there really is no limit to the supply of cyber currencies. Um, there are new ones coming out almost every day. And that, that increased supply is is eventually going to catch up to the demand whenever people start getting worried about the risk. Absolutely. And just one thing I would add to that is, you know, looking at, you know, building a portfolio for long term is do you really want to base your retirement? Do you want to base Kids College on one sector of the market or on one product, Bitcoin? And the answer is, you know, that would keep me up at night if that was everything, if that right. was everything I had was in that one thing. So the better approach, honestly, not even from a financial standpoint, but just from a uh, an ease of life and an enjoyment of life is to be well diversified, use mutual funds, use a good process that takes advantage of the ups and downs and, and really don't think about this. Bitcoin, it can be something that can be very consuming if you think about it too much. Yeah, I would say the, the bottom line for me is I don't think it deserves a place in your diversified portfolio and not in your retirement plan. If you want to go out and have some fun and buy a little sure. bit of Bitcoin or, you know, GameStop or anything that's speculative like that right. with, you know, a small amount of money you can afford to lose, by all means, go out and have fun. But, you know, as far as your serious investments, your retirement, something you're counting your future on, please do not go put any significant chunk in, in anything right. like Bitcoin. Right. Yeah, that's that's kind of the bottom line for us. All right. And now, yes, you okay. can you can read the prescription of the week because it, it is time for okay. that. Absolutely. Can't, won't mess this one up. Okay. All right. So the, the prescription of the week, you've been waiting for this one. Uh, so yes, yeah, so 4%, according to this study from John Hopkins, is very interesting. They say that 4% of people correctly start their social security, meaning if you delayed or you took it earlier from the normal person, uh, you would have had more uh, than the than than the 96% of people that tried to time this. So what this showed was, um, you know, 92% of people would have benefit benefited for delaying their social security until age 65. But right. in reality, almost 80% claimed it between age 62 and 64. Yeah, most people do claim it early. So That's the big right. the big question, and I'll leave this with you, Steve, is is when when should you claim social security? Yeah, and it's different for every person, every couple or person. Um, you know, it depends whether you're married. It depends on longevity in your family. It depends on when you need the income. You know, if you need it, then, you know, money is worth more early it, right? in retirement than it is later. So, you know, so there are a lot of factors like that you have to think about. Um, and if you're married and your your spouse can draw a spousal benefit off of you, that, that makes a difference, too. Um, so there, there are a lot of factors, no perfect answer for everybody. You're right. If you just did the numbers, most people would, would, you know, over their life expectancy, if they're going to make it to life expectancy or more, most people would, would, would maximize their benefit over their lifetime by delaying. Right. That is true. But that doesn't answer the whole question of when do you need money? When is That's it right. important to you? When is it going to improve your lifestyle? So, yeah. Yeah, so talk to us about that if you have questions about that. It's it's an unfortunately not an easy answer, but um but there are some clear factors you can think about that'll that will give you that answer. Absolutely. So good question or good prescription of the week. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Do check us out on our website, moneymd.net. Send us your questions. We'd love to hear from you. Or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates at 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week.
This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor.